Welcome to the Nasred Podcast, or Nasred Talks About Movies, a place where movies are discussed. Friends, today is our special 40th episode of the podcast. I'm so happy. I'm so pleased as punch to have reached 40 episodes. It's so、uh, kind of monumental, I guess. I don't know. It, it, it's fun. It's fun doing this podcast. So, in honor of our 40th episode, we are going to go through the entire filmography of George A. Romero. But before we do that, we are going to. I'm going to give you a little Debbie and the Devil. Update: The script is finished. On Friday, which was a couple days ago,、uh, myself and the director of photography, Lucas Petasi, we sat down and we color corrected the opening scene of Debbie and the Devil. And it was one of the greatest things I've ever done. It was so fun. We just sat in this dark room in downtown, and、uh, we color corrected. A fucking plane is going by, but that's okay. I don't even know if you can hear it. But,、uh, but anyway, so maybe you're new, maybe you're you're returning to the podcast. But my name is Nas Red, and、uh, I'm a filmmaker, and I do this podcast, and we talk about movies, and、uh, yeah. So anyway, back to Debbie and the Devil.、Um, we sat from three to twelve-ish.、Uh, Uh, color correcting in、uh, this factory space in downtown, and it was just so fun. It was just the greatest thing, and it was funny because、uh, you know I cut together the scene, and I sort of did like little tiny on my own Final Cut X、uh, color correction, and I it was like I was like a kid with Crayolas, and when my DP looked at it, he was like, "Dude, you really you know you went to town with this. Let me let me fix this a little bit." And he did it, and he gave it this subtle. Kind of colors and just his、uh, Lucas Petasi, my my DP. I got really lucky finding this guy because he is so、um, uh, good. He's just really great at what he does, and he's very meticulous, and he's very he's very committed, and and he just wants to make a, create a, a beautiful image. And I am all for that. So basically, Debbie and the Devil, the script is done. I have begun budgeting it、uh, to see how much exactly that I need to finish the rest of it, and the script is done. The scene is be- has been color corrected. And、uh, you know that's it for Debbie and the Devil. That's where we're at right now. So I think、uh, let's let's get to、uh, let's get let, basically what we're gonna do today is we're gonna go through the entire filmography of George A. Romero.、Um, the way this came about was Debbie and the Devil. Uh, you know, one of my the first like major horror film that I ever saw. To my memory, was Creepshow. I saw it when I was like seven, and、uh, I was in second grade, and it really blew my mind. And it's one of my favorite horror films. I don't know what I can say is my favorite horror film, but Creepshow is the one that I keep going back to. And 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 Creepshow was directed by George A. Romero. I love uh, uh, anthology horror. I love that format. And Debbie and the Devil does sort of take that. Sort of thing. It's not exactly Creepshow, but it does take the anthology horror format and it sort of plays with it a little bit. And so, and this was not intended. I didn't want to, you know, sit down and watch、uh, all of the George A. Romero movies and for the podcast. It was oh shit! I just knocked over my coffee. It was simply because of the fact that. I went back. I watched Creepshow, and then I realized, wait, I want to see all of George A. Romero's movies because I had seen a chunk of them. I've seen the all of the the original Dead trilogy. I've seen Creepshow.、Uh, I've seen、uh, off the top of my head, what the fuck else? Land of the Dead. You know, like, but I didn't see the other two,、uh, uh, the newer、uh, Dead movies, the last two, Survival of the Dead and Diary of the Dead. And so basically, it was just for me, just for my soul, really, just to go through this guy's filmography and watch them all. And 
And then I realized, okay, what's my next episode going to be for the 40th? And then I thought, you know, it, it might be a good little episode to uh, celebrate uh, George A. Romero. And not so much, you know, just kind of give my brief thought on each film. So I think we should just begin. And one thing about George A. Romero, I mean, if you're listening to this, chances are... You know, you're you were looking for a podcast about George A. Romero, and uh, you know, I hope you I hope you feel like you you get something out of this. I don't know, you know. Let's just let's just go through his films because George A. Romero is a great man. He's an OG uh, guy in the in the horror game. He's an OG guy when it comes to filmmaking. He's just the greatest, and uh, I loved his films. Going through his filmography was really great, and there were a few surprises. So let's go through through it. Uh, Night of the Living Dead. What can be said about Night of the Living Dead that hasn't already been said? Um, I will go over um, something that many people say is the fact that the the, the lead is an African-American man. And uh, at the end of the film, and we're talking full spoilers for all of these movies, so uh, don't get upset or anything. But at the end of the film, the, the main character is an African-American man. He's the hero, and he gets shot by a posse of rednecks. And... Um, at the time, you know, uh, Night of the Living Dead was made in uh, 1968, or it was released in 1968, and that was very, very loaded. Uh, the, the 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 fact that the main character was African American and he gets killed at the end was very, very loaded, and people all thought that that was intentional on George A. Romero's part. They all thought that, oh yeah, he was clearly making a point using this African American man as as the main character, and and uh, having him killed was saying. Something something. A little anecdote, because when I went through these films, I would go on YouTube and then look up a George A. Romero interview where he was talking about these films to get a little something, you know, about the film. And George A. Romero says, we, you know, it, it's pretty well known if you, if you know Night of the Living Dead, it's very well known that that was not George A. Romero's intention. He was not out to make some socio-political comment on society. He simply used the uh, African-American actor because out of all of his friends, that gentleman was the best actor. And that's why he used him. And so there, George A. Romero tells this anecdote that when he finished the film, and mind you, this is, you know, night, the 60s, this is the late 60s, he finished the film and he was driving through New York or I think on the Brooklyn Bridge or something with the film cans in his trunk and he was with uh, another person that helped make the film and over the radio they hear that Martin Luther King has just been assassinated and I'll leave you to 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 look at this interview but it was funny because like George A. Romero kind of says like in a joking way he says wow this is good for our movie you know what I mean and it's like I mean it's just interesting how art and society sort of work in that way that they sort of feed each other and stuff and so that's Night of the Living Dead and one of the things that's sad about Night of the Living Dead is how royally fucked George A. Romero got in terms of the copyright. There was a big copyright issue. I guess the original title of Night of the Living Dead was Night of the Flesh Eaters, right? And so when they changed the title, they forgot to put the copyright logo under the title. And so basically Night of the Living Dead, a film this is heartbreaking, a film that, that should be making George A. Romero buckets of money. Like every week, every day, this guy should be getting checks for Night of the Living Dead. But because of that one little uh, fudging up, Night of the Living Dead is in the public domain. And that basically means anybody can burn a DVD of Night of the Living Dead and, 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 and uh, sell it and stuff. And that's very 
that's a shame because you know when you think of the cultural impact that 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 first film had and and the subsequent films and the cultural impact that that george a romero has had not just on horror but just on film in general and then you look at the walking dead and you look at all this shit and it's like george a romero should be uh, picking up uh, fat checks for for uh, what he's done you know what I mean for for Night of the Living Dead, and and he, you know, it's in public domain. But what are you gonna do? So that's Night of the Living Dead. Then in 1971, I guess George A. Romero didn't want to be typecast as a horror director, and so he made this film called There's Always Vanilla. And when I was going through his filmography, this film I was kind of dreading, and I don't mean to sound mean, like I was dreading it, like oh I didn't want, but I was I was I wasn't totally looking forward to it. A because it wasn't horror, and B it's like his it's described as his coming of age movie, and so I I I I wasn't like I was more looking forward to seeing Monkey Shines, which I hadn't seen before than than I was uh, There's Always Vanilla, and I must say the film really surprised me with how good it is and here's the thing with with george a romero with especially if you look at his his earlier work is the fact that he's not going for some sort of grindhousey sort of meta kind of you know tongue-in-cheek horror if you look at night of the living dead and then you look at uh you know like uh, there's always vanilla as a compare and contrast kind of thing uh he's going for realism night of the going back to night of the living dead it's very realistic in how they talk and how they they uh, you know argue and stuff like that he's going for realism he's not going for kitschy uh, funny sort of oh haha zombies kind of thing no he's going for realism he's taking these situations and he's he's applying a, a, a real world logic to it you know like uh, sorry I, I know i'm on there's always vanilla but like in night of the living dead one of the biggest arguments that they have is whether they should go into the cellar and stuff and that takes a lot of screen time but it's like yeah uh, that argument would be happening if you were in that situation so going going to there's always vanilla the actor that is in it is i'm, I'm looking up his name uh, i think his name is raymond lane I hope that's the guy. Yeah, yeah, that's the guy. I'm looking at his picture on IMDb. Really great actor. I highly encourage anybody who likes George A. Romero, who who appreciates his horror stuff, to watch this film because it's really great. One of the things uh, about it that I enjoy, and it this is big time in his next film, Hungry Wives, or Season of the Witch, or it has a bunch of other titles, is that... These films, you know, there's always Vanillas from 1971, and it's about this relationship. It's it's almost like, uh, I don't know, like 500 Days of Summer or something. It's about this relationship. It's this guy talking about this relationship. And you wouldn't think, you know, especially me, who I, I love blood in movies and stuff. I don't get bored when there's no blood in movies, but, you know, I, I like bloody movies. Nobody's head explodes in this film, and that's okay. The movie is a very, very realistic depiction of a relationship in the 70s and the whole counterculture kind of thing but one of the greatest things about it is the main guy's performance he's just 
so good, this Raymond Lane. And unfortunately, he, uh, you know, he's dead now, but he didn't really do too much. Like he did There's Always Vanilla, and then he has a bit part in a, in a Hungry Wives. But I guess he was satisfied staying back in Pittsburgh, which is where George A. Romero made his earlier movies, and, you know, being a teacher and stuff like that. There's Always Vanilla is a really, really great film. I don't know if you can find a decent DVD of it. I saw it on YouTube, which I feel bad, but hey, man, what are you going to do? I wanted to see all of Romero's movies. I, I You got to do what you got to do in life, you know what I mean? But There's Always Vanilla is a really great movie. Don't let the title fool you. Don't let it deter you from not seeing it. Because uh, I, I, I know, I, I understand. There's Always Vanilla is not the greatest title for a movie. It sounds uh, vanilla, to say the least. But it is a really, really great movie. If you're into, you know, relationship movies, it's really fun. It's, it, it's, it's, it's realistic. It feels like you're spying on these people almost. And the way they put it together, the way they cut it, I mean, it's, it's dare I say, genius. Like, it, it's loose. It's not tedious like, you know, certain movies from back in the day. It's very good. It's very interesting. It was super interesting seeing him make something that wasn't horror. But I mean, again, it's a great film. That's the thing. One of the things that's a shame, a sh a shame about the film is that I don't think it found its proper audience. But now that's, that it's on YouTube, uh, you know, you can, you can watch it and, and enjoy this uh, depiction of a, a relationship in the 70s. So the next film is Hungry Wives or Season of the Witch. And this goes into this thing that I enjoy and I, I briefly mentioned it in regards to There's Always Vanilla, but when you watch a low-budget film from the late 60s, early 70s, or, you know, whatever, you get to witness the counterculture on a more ground-level way. Uh, like, for instance, in Season of the Witch, it's about this housewife, and it's basically a woman's women's lib kind of movie like she's this housewife and she gets all kinky and she sort of liberates herself through magic and kinkiness and stuff like that but like it's cool because you know like there's a part where like uh, the the guy that was in there's always vanilla the mr lane guy uh there's a part where he tricks a woman into thinking she smoked a joint right and the way they talk about weed is very like yeah, man, you know, like, hey, weed, man, you know what I mean? And it's like, it's just very interesting because you're seeing the counterculture at work. You know what I mean? Like, you're seeing it at work when you see a low-budget movie from that era because those low-budget movies, they're a little more at ground level. Like, yeah, the, the, the Hollywood films... I, I don't know, off the top, like, say, like, All the President's Men, yeah, they're, they're slick, but that counterculture, you can see it way more at ground level when you're watching, uh, you know, a low-budget movie. And I think Season of the Witch or Jack's Wife or Hungry Wives or whatever the fuck it's called, because it has a bunch of titles, uh, is it has that. It has that sort of hippie counterculture aftermath that you see in early 70s films. It's a great film, and I believe that There's Always Vanilla and this film are considered George A. Romero's lost films. And they are very worth seeking out. And uh, this one is also available on YouTube. I felt bad watching it on YouTube and not sending money to George A. Romero. But I think that's okay. I think he'll be fine. Okay, the next film is The Crazies. I had seen the remake in theaters. I had never seen this one. It was fun. It was good. It, was, it felt like George A. Romero sort of returning back to what was his... Uh, 
his bread and butter. You know what I mean? Like his his thing. And uh, it was good. There was, I don't have much to say about it, but it 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 has that same thing that Night of the Living Dead has of, you know, showing that breakdown of society and how that sort of appears on a uh, on a human level with the characters and stuff. It was a good film, good little flick. The next film is Martin. And George A. Romero has gone on record as saying that this is, it's between this and Knight Riders as being his favorite films of his films. And it's really great. It's a vampire movie that is an anti-vampire movie. It's about this guy who could be a vampire. Maybe he is. Maybe he's just nuts. But it was really fun. It's very good. And... The more films that he does, the, the the further down you go in his filmography, the more slick the films become. But still with Martin, he's going for that realism, that sort of like everyday kind of thing. And it's very interesting. It's, it's a great vampire film because it sort of plays with all of the conventions and this and that. And there are like black and white sequences that look like Nosferatu. And it's really fun. It's, it's good. And it feels like George A. Romero sort of being like, yeah, I'm in the... I'm in the horror game, motherfuckers, and I, I'm going to do what I want to do. And, you know, I got the goods, and you just stick with me. And so Martin is a really great film. And that brings us to Dawn of the Dead from 1978. And any horror fan, gore fiend, has seen this film. It's a great film. What can I say about it that hasn't already been said? I mean, there's the obvious sort of like, it's a comment on consumerism and this and that. And I guess the the story behind it is, uh, you know, shopping malls in the 70s were relatively new things and this guy showed george a romero he said hey i got this shopping mall and george a romero said uh you know hey wow that's a great setting for a movie and i guess in setting you know dawn of the dead uh at the at a shopping mall it sort of opened him up to uh, uh social satire and i guess after night of the living dead you know, coming from a situation where everybody was applying all of these socio-political uh, meanings to it that George A. Romero felt it wasn't there, I feel like after that he was like, no, you know, this is a good uh, vehicle for satire. And so with Dawn of the Dead, he is going for this full satire. And again, he's going for a realism when it comes to the uh, interactions between the characters. And, you know, like there's the, the opening sequence uh, in the newsroom is awesome. It's a, it's it. You you feel the frenzy. You feel the 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 energy of this newsroom as the world is completely going to hell. And then there's a part where this racist cop is going around this uh you know ghetto apartment killing uh African Americans and Hispanics, and he's saying all of these racial slurs. And it feels real. Like it really does feel real. You know, one of the things that people mention about it that they say is kind of goofy, but I. I like it. Like I like the way the zombies look. They they they're blue and the blood looks like Crayola and I just I it's a fun movie and when I was you know I have seen this movie a, a handful of times but I had never seen the Argento version. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, when the film was made, there's this filmmaker Dario Argento and Dario Argento is a maestro when it comes to giallo filmmaking, when it comes to Italian horror films. He, especially in his heyday, he was the man. And he's the father of Agia Argento, whom I'm in love, I'm in love with. I love her. But uh, I'm in love with a lot of people, so don't feel weird. But uh, uh, so Dario Argento said to uh, George A. Romero... Um, hey, I want to make my own cut of... I'll, I'll 
kick in some money for Dawn of the Dead, but I want to make my own cut for Italian audiences, and I'm going to call it Zombie, and it's for, like, Italian audiences. It has different music and this and that, and it has, uh, the music is done by this group, Goblin, who did the score for Suspiria, really, really great band. And uh, so, basically, uh, Dario Argento made his own cut called Zombie for Italian audiences, and then that was a big hit, and so this is where it sort of gets weird. Uh, there's another filmmaker named Lucio Fulci, and any horror fan knows that guy. And Lucio Fulci made this sequel to Zombie called, and it was just called Zombie 2. And then here, it, that film is known as Zombie. And that's known as one of the great zombie films as well. And then there's like a Zombie 3. And so it becomes this kind of mishmash of, of, uh, of, the living dead really of 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 the dead uh where dawn of the dead is the official and then zombie is the unofficial and then there's zombie 2 and then it becomes this whole thing uh this mishmash of italian horror and american horror and it it is really wonderful i love that the the industry can do cheap things like that so that's dawn of the dead you know you've seen it you love it you know it uh how do i feel about the remake i thought it was all right i don't care you know i don't give a fuck it's a different movie it's not the 1978 dawn of the dead but whatever i don't have any big uh, opinion on it which brings us to knight riders from 1981 and this is another one of the films of his films that's not horror. It really isn't. It's about this, like, almost like this this group of Renaissance fair people, and they put on these jousting reenactments of knights and stuff like that. And here's the thing. One of the best things about this film is Ed Harris. Ed Harris is in the film, and this was before he was, like, you know, the Ed Harris, the respected actor and stuff, and he plays the leader of this group of people that joust on motorcycles, and they throw these events, and they're like Renaissance fairs, and the thing that I think, again, and Knight Riders is a really good film, it's really good. It, it, it's it's on the level of there's always vanilla. It, it surprises you. It's like two something hours. It's like two hours and, and some change. But it's really good. It's not tedious. It, it It's fun. But one of the things that's really interesting is when you hear... Oh, wait. Knight Rider is from 1981. Sorry. I don't know if I said 71. But it's from 1981. The thing that's really interesting about it is that hearing George A. Romero say that it's his best film of his films is interesting. Because when you watch it, you get the the sense that the Ed Harris character is sort of how George A. Romero views himself and his sort of leadership with this ragtag group of people in Pittsburgh making films and stuff like that. It's a very, very, very good film. And it makes you wonder that, and it's good that George A. Romero didn't go down this road, but George A. Romero could have been a really, really great jobber, like a really great director that you just hire and he does like whatever romantic comedy, you know, but I feel like his heart belongs in horror and the horror genre calls him and he, he, he loves it. And, you know, I feel like he has the impression that, you know, this, this genre is where I can get my rocks off. You know what I mean? And in 1982, George A. Romero, after Knight Riders, made the amazing, beautiful, chilling, scary, beautiful film, Creepshow, which is my, yeah, I, I, I'd have to say it's my favorite horror film at this moment in time. It's just so fun. And, you know, I've talked about Creepshow on the podcast before. 
what can I say about it? It's it's four horror film, horror, four horror stories, and it's great. It's just so fun, and I don't want to say too much about it because a there's a lot of podcasts about it. But then here's the thing that kind of pisses me off, okay? And I don't want to go knocking other podcasts and stuff, but I heard a few podcasts because I wanted to hear. This was a while ago, like what was said about this film and stuff. And the way they treat the film, they treat it like it's a so bad, it's good film. And it's like, no, it's not a so bad, it's good film. It's a great film that is a great film. It's not The Room, okay, douche? It's not. It's a beautiful film, and if you don't see that, I feel bad for you, and I hate you. No, I'm just kidding. I don't hate anybody. But Creepshow is great. It's one of the, the, the best horror films. It's so, so fun. It's so awesome. It's so fun to just watch, and I've seen it a, a, a bunch of times, and I look forward to watching it again in my life. It's just one of those things that I keep returning to. And maybe it's because, I don't know, like the movies that you watch as a kid, you really carry them in your heart. You know what I mean? Like, the, the, And you could watch you know the same film and think oh this is actually not that great but creep show is not one of those creep show is great it's awesome it has ted danson buried from the neck up it's it's just the greatest thing it's it's one of the greatest films ever made and uh i would put it on my top 10 i really would and uh, in 1985, George A. Romero made Day of the Dead. And uh, what can i say of Day of the Dead? It, it's him doing the satire thing again uh I've heard George A. Romero say that at that time in the 80s, uh, the the homeless, it felt like the rich people lived up on top and the homeless people were all pushed to underground. And that's sort of where he's coming from with Day of the Dead. Like, you know, he's doing that social satire thing and he's kind of making fun of the military and stuff. Do I, I, I like Day of the Dead. Uh, I think between Night of the Living Dead, Dawn of the Dead and Day of the Dead, I like Dawn of the Dead more just because that's the one that I've seen the more of the more of more of in in my life and it's it's a it's a fun movie but Day of the Dead is good and Day of the Dead it's like his dead universe is is crystallized and it becomes you know what we know it to be you know what I mean like it it's like he's created this universe and Day of the Dead is sort of that that sort of cherry on top of the universe. And one thing that he said that he wanted, he had this idea was uh, making a, a dead movie every decade. And, you know, he didn't make one in the 90s, but, you know, that's okay. That's fine. You, you, it's an ambition. It's a good ambition. But, you know, in the 90s, I feel like he was doing other stuff. But, okay, Monkey Shines. When I was a little boy, my family, we used to go to this rental place, this video rental place, and they had uh, little coins next to each movie. And you, when you chose a movie, you would take the coin and then you would give it to the front guy, front desk guy, and then he would pull out the movie and you could rent it. And one of the movies that uh, they had a poster of that always used to terrify me, and it used to be next to the Child's Play poster, which also used to terrify me, uh, was Monkey Shines. And I had been, I hadn't seen this film. And uh, the the poster is very freaky. It's like a toy monkey with like a knife, and it just looks unsettling. And this was one of the George A. Romero films that I hadn't seen prior. Uh, 
and I watched it. It was all right. It's about this guy that he becomes a quadriplegic, and then he gets this monkey, and then the monkey starts being mischievous and killing people. It's great. Uh, I'm all for monkeys that are mischievous and killing people. It was an awesome film. It was it was great. It was it was great. But I don't have much to say about it. It was you know 1988, and the thing is, you know, you 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 start seeing this slickness in his work, you know, because this is when he started working with the studios and this and that. In 1990, George A. Romero made Two Evil Eyes with Dario Argento, which is kind of a half anthology film. George A. Romero made a short film, and uh, Dario Argento made a short film. And it's kind of like a, you know, kind of like what Tarantino and Rodriguez did with Grindhouse, but it not not really. It's it's a little different. I haven't seen this film in a long time, but I remember Harvey Keitel was in it. I I remember enjoying it. I don't remember too much of it. So uh, let's move on to the dark half in 1993. And I believe I'm not sure, but this could be George A. Romero's biggest budget thing. It was his most studio centric film, and I feel like. The experience was not pleasant for Mr. Romero. And he, they, the studio hooked him up with a director of photography. I don't even know his name. Uh, Fuckhead Jones. Let's call him that. Fuckhead Jones. And the reason I call him Fuckhead Jones is because uh, he seemed to have, he didn't get along with Mr. Romero, which I think is a really bad thing. And one of the things that George A. Romero said in an interview was that he said that Fuckhead Jones said, Ho, oh, at this at this part, let's have the the lights in the house be on because it looks visually great. And then George A. Romero said, well, that doesn't make sense because they're pulling up to this house. Nobody's staying at the house. Why the F would their, would their, uh, uh, would their lights be on, Mr. Jones? And then Fuckhead Jones said, well, I'm going to call the studio because I don't like, you know, the way you're working and the studio will yell at you and you, I'm going to have my way, which is such a, such a bitch move, you know, such a such a pussy move to to do to such a great man. And so fuckhead Jones got his way. But that is the epitome, I feel like, of George A. Romero's experience with the studio. Because when you when you hear him talk about it, he doesn't seem uh, too uh, too pleased with the experience. And it's interesting because that was dark half. The, but I do enjoy the dark half. It it was made from a, a script by. Uh, I mean, it's from a novel by Steven Spiel, uh, Steven Spielberg. Stephen King. I think it's cool. It's it's his slickest film, uh, or one of his slickest films. And it's interesting. It's cool. It's it 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 has what you want in a horror story. I thought the story was interesting. It's about this writer named Thad Beaumont, and he has this like. Like when he was a kid, he would get these headaches, and then when they opened up his brain, they found an eye, and there was another person in his in his brain because you know, like I guess fetuses absorb other fetuses. I don't know. I'm not a I'm not a doctor, but uh, you know, it, it's a good film. It, it's sad that like it wasn't a, a pleasant experience for him, but still, it shows that he's a solid workman director like his style is very no bullshit it's very nuts and bolts it's very you know masters close-ups that's it you know like but it's cool because you know i i love george a romero i really do uh he's such a great guy but and it's unfortunate that the dark half was not a a, a pleasant experience for him but we must move on so seven years between the dark half and his next film seven years he must have did some a lot of thinking and a lot of uh you know, a lot of soul searching or something. I, I hope he had a good time in those seven years. But 
in 2000, he made the film Bruiser. And this is one of the ones that I hadn't seen. I watched it. And I feel like this was his sort of... Because at the time in 2000, we were... You know, Scream came out whenever it came out, before 2000. And the masked slasher genre was a big thing. You know what I mean? And uh, so I feel like this was his sort of throwing his hat in the ring of the mass slasher thing. But if you look at it as a mass slasher movie, it is very interesting because it's not that. It It's about this guy that suddenly he has this mask that he can't remove. And so, and it's just about him and he works in the, in the magazine industry and he goes around killing people. And it, it's interesting because it's like, this is so not Scream. This is so not Urban Legends or something. This is him sort of satisfying the requirements of the mass slasher genre by having a guy with a mask. But other than that, it's its its own thing. It's very interesting. Very, very, very interesting, I would say. Bruiser. It's, it's an interesting little thing. Uh, odd movie, I would say, even by his standards. Very strange. But it is interesting if you look at it in the context of what was going on at horror at the time, and you look at it in the context context of uh what george a romero went through prior to that because the film bruiser he is kind of going around killing like you know like suits in the industry or like it's it's kind of very industry centric in terms of like it takes place in the magazine industry and it feels like maybe george a romero was settling some scores you know from his bad experience of the dark half and that's bruiser very interesting film and he said that he had a lot of fun making it and the you know the band the misfits have a have a little part where they play music lots of fun uh 2005 george a romero at the height of the bush administration george a romero returned to the dead uh, genre and created Land of the Dead. And uh, Aja Argento is in it. And I haven't seen this film since I saw it in theaters. But I remember a quote from a, a movie review that I thought was very, very uh, great. I thought this was whoever wrote this uh, this blurb uh, uh, deserves a medal or something or some sort of film criticism award. But he said, Michelangelo has returned to create another mural and it's Land of the Dead. I'm totally paraphrasing. But that is how a lot of horror fans felt at the time when Land of the Dead was made. It felt like a master was returning to his canvas. And it was interesting to see what he had to say. I remember, okay, so Aja Argento was in it. Dennis Hopper was in it. And he sort of does kind of play a Bush stand-in where all of the rich people live in this high rise. And then eventually the, the dead run amok. A lot of fun. A lot of fun, and it was great to see uh, Romero return, but it was also great because, you know, these dead films, ever since, uh, you know, Night of the Living Dead's rap of being sociopolitical, ever since people applied that to them, and George A. Romero ran with that, uh, you know, when you see these films, it is him saying, him sort of giving his impression of the times. And Land of the Dead is a very, very good, I, I would love to see it again, because it would be great as a time capsule to see what he thought of the Bush administration at that time. And he makes no secret of it. I'm not like looking too 
much into it. He has said it. He said, this is how I feel about the Bush administration. And so there's that. And Land of the Dead was really great. After that, 2007, he's on a roll. He's back with the dead. You know, he's partying with the dead. He made Diary of the Dead. I had not seen this film. Well, actually, I saw this film when it was released. I was so high, I barely remember it. The only thing that I remember was the last shot. And so I watched it again just to refresh my mind. And it's very, very, very interesting because of the fact that uh, it sort of shows where we were going at that time and where we have arrived in terms of this amateur journalism, this culture of, uh, you know, if someone is is hurt or, or in pain, instead of helping that person, we whip out our, our, our phones and start filming them and this culture of snitches kind of 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 like i i I don't know if that's the right way of putting it of this culture of people just filming each other without any thought without oh i gotta document this like it's some noble thing and it's very 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 interesting because it just shows how we are and what we've become and you know like uh, it, it it just shows that 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 grossness of wanting to document everything instead of thinking instead of being like okay how can i help this situation just sort of being like oh i got i got to film this i got to film this and you know it's in 2007 that's 10 years ago and i feel like it's it's a bit ahead of its time i read a review in i believe av club by nathan rabin at the time that he said it was didactic and it's like, well, and I like Nathan Rubin. I, I like AV Club and I, I, I think they do great stuff in terms of film criticism and film journalism and stuff. But I kind of disagree with that. I mean, I, uh, I agree in the sense that, yeah, it is didactic, but that's what you go to the dead movies for. You want him to be didactic. You want George A. Romero to get on this soapbox and sort of be like, this is what I think of, of the world at this moment in time. And you get that wrapped up in a, in a little zombie movie and stuff. And I think that's fun. That brings... And the last shot of uh, Diary of the Dead is so good that it was able to etch itself in my mind even with me being completely stoned when I saw it the first time. And that brings us to Survival of the Dead, George A. Romero's last film, 2009. Uh, what can I say about it? It's it's a honest to goodness film. It's great as the you know the last film of the Dead series, and it it's uh, there's not much that I can say about it in terms of uh, what it is. It's good. It's a zombie film. The la- It's another film where the last shot is pretty awesome. And it just shows this breakdown of society. It, it, it's, you know, uh, it shows, uh, uh, here's the thing, okay? I'm going to be real. Some people have this narrative of George A. Romero that the dude, the, the, the dude fell off in some way. And that is so not true. He did not fall off. What happened was the, the the chaos of the world has reached that zombie level, has reached that Dawn of the Dead level. When he made Dawn of the Dead in 1970-whatever, this was all theoretical, the breakdown of society, of Western civilization. This was all kind of like ideas in the air, and he was sort of playing with this theoretical idea of what if mass chaos did sort of reach society? How would we react with it? 
And when he comes to uh, Land of the Dead and Diary of the Dead and Survival of the Dead, that chaos is no longer theoretical. That chaos is around us. It's all around us. It surrounds us. It's something that, you know, if you ingest uh, news media, it's constant. It's there. And so he's not working with some theoretical idea of, oh, what if society suddenly got fucked up? No, society is fucked up. So when you see Land of the Dead and Diary of the Dead and Survival of the Dead, he there's the context of society has, it's fucked up now. It's fucked up, you know, and the zombies are just window dressing. The zombies are just sort of, you know, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're props kind of, you know, to, to sort of be vehicles of how society can be fucked up and how mankind, mankind's inhumanity towards man. And so I am making the argument right here on this podcast that George A. Romero has not fallen off. In fact, he, he has uh, aged like a wine in terms of an artist, like, like a fine wine. He's gotten better. And I feel like with Survival of the Dead and Diary of the Dead, if you watch them now, and you give an honest assessment of them, you see it's an artist reacting to the world around him. And so you cannot say that the dude fell off or his movies aren't good anymore. He He's, he's applying that realism, except now it's on a bigger canvas. Now that realism is on the chaos of the world, if that makes any sense. It's not just in how the, hu- the people interact with each other. It's about the breakdown of society. And if there is one thing that I guess I can extrapolate from all of these films, from all 20 of these films or however many films that we just went through, it's that I guess what he's saying is that, you know, if you look at the way the the survivors treat one another and I don't know, I, I guess what he's saying with all of these films, especially the dead films is that a new day will come. It may be a day of the dead, but the sun will still rise tomorrow. And I think that's a good little thing to extrapolate from all of these films. It's not over. No matter how bad it gets, it's not over. The the, the sun will rise tomorrow. That will never change. And so that's the cinema of George A. Romero. I hope you enjoyed this uh, rundown of this amazing man's films. And uh, I hope you watch Night Riders. I hope you watch There's Always Vanilla. I hope you go through all of these films and you enjoy them the way I enjoyed them. This was not planned. I did not expect to do a podcast about it, but I thought, hey, why not? You went through this whole filmography. You know, maybe you have a nice, uh, a few thoughts on it. So that's it. Next week, I have no idea what the podcast is going to be, what episode we're going to have, but there will be an episode nonetheless. I think maybe with Interdimensional Alex, we'll have a little fun jam-out session about a few films, but it should be fun. So follow me on Twitter at Mr. Nasred. Follow me on Instagram at Mr.Nasred. Email me at nasredpodcast at gmail.com and visit me at nasred.com for all of your Nasred needs. And please do like, share, and subscribe on iTunes and leave me a beautiful review and buy a Wild 7 Productions t-shirt. 10% of the proceeds go to Children Incorporated. And also the forums are up on the website on nasred.com. So go and uh, talk about films and soda pop and candy and enjoy, but don't be a troll be nice goodbye my undead friends